Welcome to the Axiom Church Podcast. These are talks and conversations about the centrality of Jesus and his kingdom from our community. Enjoy. All right, we're in Acts. We're, we're going to be in it for a few more weeks, and then we're going to pause and go into something else and we'll come back to acts because we want to get all the way through the book over the next couple of years we're just working through it um and we're in acts chapter 3 verse 11 through 16 so please turn there if you need a bible you can get a bible also if we didn't dismiss the youth already sorry youth get out of here you're going up there um maybe they already left i think they left already okay they took care of it so ver- chapter 3 verse 11 through 16 that's where we'll be hanging out but just to kind of bring you back up to speed, last week uh, we were introduced to Larry, the lame guy, and Ross talked about, that's not wrong, Larry, the guy who was lame, he couldn't, couldn't walk, and Ross introduced us to him, and we talked about that. And one of my favorite parts about that passage is that Larry was at the beautiful gate, and he was there every day. Every day he was there. And what's interesting about that fact is that Jesus has been there before, more than once. The apostles have been there before, more than once. And yet, it was the healing didn't take place until resurrection took place. And that makes some sense, because even this story of healing is about one who is, who is, who is down and who is brought up. And so there's a mirroring of Christ's own resurrection, but it's tied to the work of the apostles in the early church. It's tied to each of us, actually. That same work and spirit is at work today, even now. And the posture that we bring to engage that spirit is the posture of Larry. It's not the posture of perceptions it's the posture of just where we really are. And so we're picking it up here. And, and I want to read through the passage. And I'll read through it twice. The first time I want to invite us to, to allow ourselves to imagine the text, to see it. Okay? Any good story brings, uh, populates the mind with images or ideas. Perhaps you see yourself in the story. That's okay. So let's just take a second to quiet ourselves I'm going to read the text, and I want to let us just sit in it. Let us be washed over by it. And then uh, we'll go through it kind of verse by verse and uh, dig it up. And this, this is an image I wanted to hold. Maybe that's helpful for you guys of Peter and John here with, with Larry. And look at him, guys. He's just clinging on. He is holding on. And, and I couldn't help but wonder, what is it that I'm holding on myself? As they look at this, this is what the text says. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished, and they came running to them in the place called Solomon's Porch. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You he 
handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all now see. Something is so right and so wrong about this image. This picture of Larry clinging on to Peter and John. Now, guys, what are we called to cling on to? Who is it that we're called to hold fast to? It's Jesus. And I don't say that to discredit this moment. In fact, I personally believe that this is symbolic of that very fact. That, that, that the lame one comes and is resurrected and he, he is chained to, tied to Jesus. And by nature of being tied to Jesus, you are saved into community. You are clinging on in a brotherhood and sisterhood. That salvation in all the forms that it comes in always ties us to other people. And it's so important that we see this Holy Spirit powerful act of God not just take a person who can't walk and make them walk again, but we see a person who was alone at the gate, now at Solomon's porch, holding on to his brothers. Because this is our invitation, that Christ is at work in community. There's authority and power in God's people in the name of Jesus at work. But there's also another layer here, and that layer, of course, is that, that maybe there's a, what we're going to see as the text goes further that is, theologians talk about this as Peter's shadow, that, that people were just wanted to touch his shadow or lay in his wake because they believed that they would experience healing. And Peter is always taking that opportunity to divert, divert attention from himself and redirect it to Jesus, the righteous, the holy one, as we just read about. And that's what we see here. While, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished, and they came running to them in the place called Solomon's Porch. Now, they, they come running, and, and side note for a second, okay? Solomon's Porch. Let's just talk about that. Because at the temple, if you understand sort of the temple layout, you have the, the, the courts of the priests, you have the, the courts of Israelites, you have, you have the courts of the women, you have the courts of the Gentiles, right? And it kind of keeps moving out from this like inner circle to this outer circle. And then you get to the walls, and then you get to the gate, which is on the outside, on the east, east side by the Kinder Valley. And, and on the south side is the porch, or, or the, the shaded area. And what's amazing about this text, what just provokes me in all the wonderful ways, is that God's work 
is quite literally taking place outside of the building. It's, it's happening amongst the common people, and they're running around, and they're noticing it, and they're surprised. And, and I love this, that it's like, it's, it, it's like with the hospitality team out front. It's not about getting in the space. It's not a magic click that takes place. That God's church, from day one, is one of moving authority from just the religious leaders and placing it into the people of God. His Spirit pours out His power into you. And wherever you go as you participate with others in the name of Christ, my onlookers witness you, see you, and experience the presence and power of God. I just think that's so cool. It's happening visibly. It's not just hidden inside these walls. Now, because it's happening visibly, there's some surprise. People are like, what's going on? And Peter picks up this, of course, quite evidently. He picks this up. And in verse 13 and 14, this is what he does. He says, listen, uh, it, well, actually, I'll start back in 12 to help us. When Peter saw this, everybody's surprised. He said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Why would you, why would you think it was us? Verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. Now, you handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though Pilate had decided to let him go. You disown the holy and righteous one and ask that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. So in their surprise, Peter immediately deflects and says, it wasn't us, let me tell you who it was. And what he begins to do in this moment is really significant. He begins to point to all the names. He, he looks back to Exodus chapter 3, he looks back to Isaiah, and he, he reminds them of the names of God. Not all of them, but quite a few actually. The Holy and Righteous One. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of our fathers. The servant. The author of life. That one. That one. And in doing this, he takes them back to all the stories that what was taking place before is beginning to take place now. That, that when you recall Exodus 3 and you recall the burning bush, that moment where, where you were surprised and you saw something happening. Just like this moment now as you witness this take place. That there's an invitation of response here. And you're responding to the name Jesus. And Peter here ties the name Jesus to all the names that they knew. The name above all names.
He says, and this, this Jesus, this, the God of Abraham, let's not, let's not think they're two separate things for a second. You put him to death. But hold on. Think about that. Think about what he's saying. It is not to be interpreted that simply this is a moment of shame or guilt or condemnation, although that exists here. But he points out, he says, you killed the innocent one and the, not, the guilty went free. This is the gospel. In Jesus, the name above all names, over, the name above God of Abraham, Jacob, God of all those names, Jesus, whom you killed so that the guilty could be free, that's the one who did this. That's the one who's at work even now. Might you experience Jesus in this way? And this is not the magic word, right? Because he, he does go on to say, by faith, in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. Okay? The language is very intentional. This person who you've seen and you know because he was there all the time, you walked by him continuously every day. Where are those spaces where you see things you walk by it every day? You got no hope for it. Jesus is the one who has made this one strong. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see now was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely, completely healed him as you can all see. Jesus is not in the business of just getting us through the check mark. Jesus is in the business of restoration of the whole person, of every part of you, complete strength, all of it. That's, that's physical, that's spiritual, that's maturity, that's all those things. It's who you are in God. God is bringing you through all the way. And to, to sort of put it in park at, at, the, at, the, at the place of just confession is to miss out on the healing, active work of God's Spirit in each of us. That's God's desire in you, which means that that's possible. In the name of Jesus. But, but that's not a magic word, right? Sometimes we, you know, we'll say something and then we'll kind of, in the name of Jesus, you know? Just put a little Jesus on that. And we'll... Make it happen. It's like, uh, what were those things you used to put water in the heads groove stuff? Chia pets? Don't use Jesus that way. It's not a magic word. He is telling the onlooker, Jesus is the God of all God. He is all the names. That this person, Jesus, is the fullest revelation of 
who these gods that we've been banking on we know to be. And what happened then is beginning to happen again because Jesus has come. Jesus has come to save even Larry, the lame man, who was placed at the gate of beautiful. But it's more than the name. It's, guys, Larry participates in his restoration with Jesus. And some of us aren't willing to go there. Larry hears and calls out. And Jesus begins to do his work. The faith of Larry is being on, put on display so that we might speak it, but also hear it and it's easy for us to speak the name of Jesus. That's what we do, right? Magic word. We, we, we're known as a community of people who just like believe in things because we have a lot of opinions about the way things are, right? We see that in our world. We're sometimes rightly called out for it as Christians because we've got all these ideas and thoughts. We say what we believe in. But what we don't do so well is hear. What we don't do so well, of course, as we know, hearing and doing go together. And that's what this faith piece is about. So if you want to know what faith looks like, it looks like more than calling on the name of Jesus. It looks like clinging to him too. What? is it that you are clinging on to? And, and you have to go to bed at night or wake up in the morning and ask yourself that question quite directly. What is it that I continue to cling on to that isn't Jesus? And as God helps you realize that and you will become aware of it, if you meditate on this, you will come to know it, you will begin to experience the enabling power of God at work in you. Because it's not enough just to say the name, just to believe it. Because if it was, God would be making a coercive act on you. But in faith, God begins to work in us influentially, not coercively. He begins to move our thinking reshape our possibilities. Our imagination is expanded. This is the space of faith. That God, right now, I can't make myself walk. Or God, right now, I have clung to the wrong things. I, I don't know how to let this go, but I, I, I know what it is now, Jesus. And now what is one thing that I can begin to do, Christ, to be the, a person who is no longer tied to this, but tied to you? 
That's the exchange, by the way. Jesus is inviting you to give him back the power to submit to him means to let go of the power this thing has over you. Because right now we're submitting to it. That's the faith at work. Until we are completely healed, it's verse 16. And that's what Jesus offers, by the way. Full-on healing. Standing on our own feet. What I love about this is that as we cling to, as we see in this, the apostles' teachings through the body of Christ and to Jesus himself, not just that we begin to understand that we're, it's not just that we're saved, but we're, we're, we've been saved into a movement with others. But what we begin to realize is that Jesus dove into Larry's hell. Jesus entered into his hell. And Jesus is ready to enter into your hell also. That's the place that Christ desires to go because that's the place that we need saved from. There's no flame too hot for Jesus to enter into it. And we see that in the cross. That in the cross, Christ enters into our hell. He takes on all of our hells so that we might take on his heaven. That's the power. He begins to turn our hearts, extinguish our lust for violence, soften our hate, remove our judging eyes and words, instill compassion, give us generosity and grace for those we can't stand. I mean, amazing things happen, healing also. And here's the good news. God is always willing to get his hands dirty. He's always willing to enter into it. Because again, he's not going to coerce you into heaven. Instead, he's going to willingly go into your hell and begin to put out the flames. And then you will know the invitation. Then you will sense the influence. And then you may begin to follow. So today, I invite you. It's going to sound weird. Don't just invite Jesus into your heart. Invite him into your hell. Ask Christ to move into your darkest place and begin to bring the light that he brings. I'm going to stop there. Heavenly Father, we ask for the strength to allow you to step into our, our weakness, our pain. God, you know our tears. You know the things that make us nervous or trigger us. You know the thing that sits far off because we just keep ignoring it, and yet, Lord, we know that you, you can face it with us. You know, Christ, what we are clinging to. God, help pull our fingers and hands off of that thing 
and exchange it for you and, and your people. Give us minds and hearts that are obsessed with you, Christ. Obsessed with one another. Leave, help us to leave success behind. Help us to leave power behind. God, we receive all those things if you give them to us, but it's not ours to have. You alone, may you be enough. Convict us, Christ. Enter our hells and set us free. In Jesus' name, amen.